May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our refuge. Amen. So as we think back over the passion which we have just read, we have to realize that it is one of the oldest stories told in the Christian community. Within the gospel accounts, we discover many varying perspectives of who Jesus is. In each perspective, we are let into how that person responded to Jesus and how they reacted to the larger situation that was going on in the time, at the time. As you saw, there were many different characters that everyone portrayed well during the reading of the Passion. Judas, whom most scholars agree was part of the Zealot Party. If you weren't familiar, at that time, our Jewish brothers and sisters had four denominations, if you will, and the Zealots were mostly interested in the political overthrow of the Roman government. And they may have expected Jesus to be the one that they had been waiting for, the Messiah that would free the Hebrew people from the Roman occupation. If so, Judas would have probably been greatly disappointed in the direction that Jesus ended up taking. Perhaps this is the reason that he betrayed him. Peter, on the other hand, is devoted to Jesus and really wants Jesus to succeed. After a few weeks, or a few weeks ago, we read how Peter was trying to persuade Jesus not to continue on the path he had begun because he, he and others knew it would eventually lead to his demise. Peter feared for the life of Jesus and probably for his life as well. As he did promise Jesus that he be, would be with him until death, maybe he was also somewhat fearful of losing his life. After all, he did have family. For Peter, Jesus was the Messiah that would bring everything to fulfillment but did that really include losing his own life? When things got dangerous, Peter got scared and denied even knowing him. For the high priest, Jesus appeared to be a threat to the religious system that he had sworn his allegiance to. He was a threat to the delicate balance that existed between the Jewish and Roman Empire. Jesus loved to use subversive language, for example, you shall be the first, and I shall be the last. Or as is otherwise said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Jesus seemed to attract people that were not the mainstream or the elite of the culture at the time. And this was growing day by day. Jesus was a threat to the established order and to everyone that had a place within. With that understanding of Jesus, no wonder the high priest condemned him. Pilate was ambivalent towards Jesus. Pilate was so curious that he had questions he needed to ask, and he even took time to listen to Jesus' answers. He was curious enough to have second thoughts about sentencing Jesus to death. Pilate's second thoughts, however, did not really stand a chance against the weight of the popular opinion which was going the other way. Each of these characters had a particular way of experiencing who Jesus was for them. Their experiences played an important role in the decisions they would make at a very important time. This brings us to the central e issue for each of us. Who is this Jesus the Christ? Who is Jesus to you? 
Who is Jesus to me? And what difference does that make in our lives in the 21st century? For me, I have always been infatuated by the mystery of the duality of the Christ, the God-man. If you are with us most Sundays, we refer to this in the Nicene Creed. He is both the face of God and the face of humanity. When I think about what that really means for me, I see that Jesus is different than a lot of the perspectives that he has saddled with, and that throughout my own spiritual journey, I have believed and wrestled with many of these similar perspectives. I see this theme represented through all of the gospel accounts, but in the Passion, I see this main difference. When I look at what Jesus endured this coming week, what we remember, humiliation and death, I see God operating very differently than many popularly held notions. I see God operating differently than rewarding the good and punishing the bad. If we look at Jesus, this is not a story about God punishing him. I don't believe that God is punishing us either when we suffer our own grief and loss, our poor health, or even death in this life. It just breaks my heart sometimes. Last week, I, I'm one of the spiritual care volunteers that does rounds at the hospital. And I had a very real and tough conversation with an older gentleman about why he believed God was punishing him for his failing health. Isn't that one of life's most difficult quandaries? When a good person loses their life way too early and when not so good people seem to live for a long, long time. None of these situations speak to the God we see in Jesus. The God we see in Jesus doesn't send illness and retribution or take someone from this world on a whim. The God we see in Jesus already knows where the brokenness in the world is, and he walks through it with the person that is suffering, bringing healing, redemption, and salvation. We all get to the point where healing is no longer possible in this world. When that is the case, then the God I know in Jesus heals through the instrument of death itself. This is something that the mystery of Jesus being fully God and yet fully man reveals to me. This mystery also shows me something about each one of us, especially in the narrative of the passion. And looking into how Jesus moved through the events of the coming week, Jesus shows us how to live free of an ego-centered self. In these events, Jesus seems to always respond to the moment, and then he moves on. He moves forward. He doesn't seem to get caught up in trying to make impressions or to even explain his actions. We also see him accept help, for example, when Simon of Cyrene carries his cross. Jesus shows us his humanity in a life that continues to unfold in front of him in the most dire of circumstances. Jesus shows us that even if we can't see at the time, there's always room to move forward. What a life lesson that even in the worst of times, we can move forward without blaming others for our plight. And maybe, just maybe, when we really need it, we can ask for help. I invite you to the beginning of this holy week. This doesn't stop once you leave that door and then it's I'll see you next Sunday. Especially this week. Do some work with God in your life and with those around you. We have a number of opportunities to plug into here on the campus um, 
starting next week, starting on Monday. If you're heading somewhere on spring break, guess what? We are a member of the Worldwide Anglican Communion, and possibly you could find another faith community to worship with. And if you are the type that'll disappear into God's creation, up into the mountains, to spend time with God during this holy week, there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure to share that story. It was never meant to be kept private. My prayer for all of you this week is that you experience afresh the hope and power of the resurrection that we remember this coming week. Amen.